Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. So you always do this to me. Um, I feel like I have this really clever introduction and, uh, you know, significant, get you tied in, you know, pull you in. And then they do one of these songs that I feel like, wow, that's a way better introduction than I had. Um, and, and, you know, and it really points to our goal uh, in the Advent services, and, and that is to prepare ourselves to come and adore the Christ child, uh, to come to him understanding the miracle of the birth of Christ, uh, the, the miracle that means in, in our lives and for all of us, and, and that's what we've been talking about. That's what we try to do when we light the Advent candles. We try to prepare ourselves to... Um, to meet with the Savior, to come and to adore Him. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, so let me go to my real, my first uh, introduction to it, okay? And this is a, a, sort of an observation that I have that there seem to be two ways that people come to Jesus. Uh, there's the, and they're represented in the, in the Bethlehem story. Uh, the first are the, the represented by the shepherds, that they are shepherds tending their sheep, and um, God surprises them. God invades their territory. God comes in, in the form of this angel and says, do not be afraid, but I bring you glad tidings of great joy, and he interrupts their life, and it's this sudden dramatic thing that happens uh, with the shepherds when, uh, when they become, become aware that the Christ has been born, and they respond to that. Then there's the other uh, group, the Magi, and the Magi, who we're going to talk about this morning, the Magi come from the east, and um, their estimates, because they were coming from the east, that they, they, they traveled maybe 500 to 1,000 miles uh, to get to Bethlehem to meet the, the Savior, and so we have the shepherds who have Christ bursts on the scene for them with, with the angel, and then we have the shepherds who are the magi who had this long journey to get to Bethlehem to get to Christ, and it kind of feels like it represents how, uh, how we come to an awareness of Jesus, how we come to a relationship with Christ, that some of us, it was this sudden interruption in our lives, for some of us, this awareness, this moment uh, that kind of crashed in on us, that we knew Christ was real, and we committed our lives to him, and then for others, um, for many of us, it's this journey that starts somewhere in our lives, and, and in fact, the Apostle Paul describes it this way, he says, there's some who sow and some who waters, but it's God who gives the growth, that, that people all along our lives have encouraged us, have spoken to us, have modeled what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but we're on this long journey to come to the realization that we need a personal relationship with Christ. And so we find ourselves in one of those two categories, and so it prompted me to, to look at the story this week of the Magi from, from that perspective, because they were uh, unique. Uh, they, they were unique in history. Um, the Magi uh, the, the singular is magos, 
but we get our word magician from that. Uh, the, the Magi were well known for uh, being astrologers. They were well known for study of science, and they were also, uh, many of them dabbled or explored magic. And so those three things uh, they were known for, uh, they started in the, with the Medes and the Persians, and then also in Babylonia, uh, they actually had schools, magi schools in those places, and the magi were considered kingmakers. If you wanted to be a king uh, among the Medes and the Persians, you had, to, you had to go through all the disciplines of becoming a magi, master all uh, of the, the, what they were and who they, what they did, and then you had to be approved by them to become uh, king. So they had a really prominent place uh, in the, with the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians uh, back in the ancient times. Uh, so they were important. Now we have this scene where in Matthew 2, where the Magi uh, see the star, uh, they're looking at the stars, they see the star, they start to look at scrolls, they start to look at history, where does this come from, what does this star mean? And, and as they did, they discovered that there was a Messiah that was to be born in Israel, and he would be the king of kings, and so the Magi decided to start on this long journey uh, to find the Messiah. Now. They, they start on this journey. We, we mentioned already that it's a really long journey. And all that's mentioned, in, you know, typically, historically, we think of the wise men as how many? Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert, I held up three fingers. How are you guys doing, okay? Are you watching? All right. So, but we don't know really how many magi there were. Uh, you know, practically speaking, if you're uh, wealthy, if you're influential, and you're gonna make a journey of 500 to 1,000 miles, you're probably gonna have an entourage. You're probably gonna have a lot of servants. Uh, you might have some guards because it's a perilous journey. So there's probably a large group of people making this trip. They're traveling, you've gotta bring food, you've gotta have places to stay, you've gotta have all of these things ready uh, for this long journey. So they must have had the financial ability to make a long trip like this. They had enough people with them to manage a long trip like this. Uh, uh, we, we don't know exactly how many magi. We know that there are three gifts that are mentioned in the scripture, uh, but there could have been, you know, 12 gifts of myrrh. There could have been 12 gifts of frankincense. We're not sure, but what we do know is that they came prepared to, to find the Christ, to find the Messiah, and they came prepared with gifts uh, to worship him. So we have these, the magi, we have these wealthy, influential people that come looking for, for the Savior. Uh, you know, here, here's the thing, they follow the star in Bethlehem, and if you want a biblical equivalent for us of that, that, that the, the Magi, these, they were pagans, they, they didn't, you know, they weren't part of God's redemptive story as far as being Hebrew or any of that, but they're part of God's redemptive story in that they were searching. Uh, they went on a journey to find uh, the Christ and they followed that light. And if, if I were to pull out one thing from just that part of it, it's that today in 2000, the end of 2017, God has called us to be that light that point people to the Christ. Uh, that he's called us, and in fact, it's mentioned, there's things in scripture like uh, Philippians 2, 14 and 15 say, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault 
uh, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. You see, Jesus intends for us to be the star of Bethlehem in a world, dark world today. So we have this picture uh, of the Magi. Now, let me read uh, a couple of the, um, let me read a couple of the verses to you. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2 say this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, because it gives you a time frame for it, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, here's another interesting little tidbit about the Magi. Matthew talks about them in the second chapter of his book. Matthew, most scholars would agree, wrote his book for the Jews, that he wrote it with a Jewish context, and, and the Jews had no regard for magi. You see, in Daniel, the second chapter, verse 27 and 28, it says, uh, when, when King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, he called together his magi and, and his learned people and said, can you tell me what this dream was, and can you give me an interpretation for it? Verse 27, Daniel said to the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar that uh, what will be in the latter days, your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these, and then he goes on to give Nebuchadnezzar what that dream was and and what it meant, what the implications were of that, but if you notice in those verses that, that he takes a position that there's no wise men that can tell you what this dream was. There's no wise men that can interpret that. This is something that comes from the God of heaven. And so all Hebrew children would have learned that as they grow, grew up, and they would have had a really different idea of what wise men were from people in the East and people in the, the Medo-Persian Empire and places like that. Uh, here, here's another passage in the New Testament in Acts 13, 6. It says this, um, that when when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, uh, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, and they, they tell this story about this false prophet. So if you were Hebrew or then an early Christian uh, living in that day, you would have had a very different view of what the Magi or who the Magi were. And, and the point is that Matthew would have never referenced this story unless it was true. He had, there was nothing to gain for him Uh, putting this in the Gospel of Matthew unless it was a true story because they didn't have the same regard for the wise men, for the magi uh, that they had historically. Uh, They saw them as false prophets. They saw them as uh, evil, as ignorant. Um, You know, they saw them completely different than they had historically. And Matthew, but Matthew says, this is a true story. This really happened and that's why I'm putting it in this passage. So the wise men came uh, they look for Jesus, and it's natural that they would go to Jerusalem first because they're emissaries, they're, uh, they're kind of diplomats, they're, they're well-known people in their part of the world, and so naturally they would go to the capital, uh, and yes, they did stop for directions. I, th- I just want to point that out. That's important. But they go to Jerusalem, and they say, we've come to see the one that's prophesied. We've come to see the one whose star we saw, and we've traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles to see this person so that we might worship him. They came with an expectation to meet the Christ. They came with expectation 
to meet Jesus. You see, God's greatest passion is to reveal his glory to the nations so that in turn, the nations will bring glory to him. Uh, And that's the overarching agenda of God. He's so intent on that, that if someone doesn't go, if someone doesn't hear the message and go to be light of the world, then he will go to the least of these. He will go to the shepherds in the field and reveal himself to them. He'll go to to the far parts of the earth, to people who have no understanding. He'll reveal himself to them. He'll start them on a journey. if the people who have the message don't uh, become the light, don't share it, don't respond to it. So here, let's look at the next few verses. Matthew two verses three to eight says, "Went three to eight. When Herod heard the uh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them." where the Christ was to be born, and they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and this is out of Micah uh, in the Old Testament, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, uh, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. Uh, So so think about this story for a second. The wise men come to Jerusalem. They go before Herod with their entourage. They say, we've seen a star and it's a sign that the Christ will be born, the Messiah will be born and we've come to worship him. And Herod is afraid of this. You see, Herod, um, he's called Herod the Great which is so cool because he named himself that. <laughs> History doesn't call him Herod the Great. You know, Herod, uh, he, he kills his wife. He has his wife murdered. Uh, he has his mother-in-law murdered. He has his father-in-law murdered. He has his sons murdered. He had an uncle murdered. He had all these people killed so, so, he, could, so he could consolidate his power because he was so paranoid. He was so afraid uh, about his position. And now these guys come from the east, these wise men, the magi, they show up and they say, we've seen the star and we've come to find the Messiah. And, it's, and, and Herod is afraid. And so who does he call? He calls the chief priests and the scribes. Do, do you know who they were? The chief priests of the temple in Jerusalem, the scribes who were the keeper of the law, the teachers of the law. Um, they were called scribes because part of their job, uh, originally their job had been to, to write out more copies of the scripture. Uh, and now they were teachers and interpreters of the law. And... And he calls all of them together and he asks them, where is it that the Messiah is supposed to be born? And you know what? They don't don't say, well, you know what? Give us a week. We'll go look this up. They, They don't scratch their heads and say, wow, that's a tough question. They know immediately that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. They knew the book of Micah. They knew the prophecy of Micah. They told him immediately that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. They knew that. And so here's the question that I want to ask you is then why aren't they sprinting to Bethlehem to see if this is true? Why, why, why do they not just get up as soon as they hear what the, what, what the wise men are telling them and get to Bethlehem? It's only six miles from Jerusalem and none of them go. But they do tell Herod, well, Herod, here's what the, here's what the, the prophecies say. 
is that the Messiah would be born in, in Bethlehem. They know where he's to be born, but they don't care. They don't do it. That They have, they have had so many years. Uh, maybe, maybe they started out when they were young uh, expecting the Messiah, waiting for the Messiah, but somehow they became complacent they became comfortable, uh, they began doubting, uh, th they began wondering if this is really ever gonna happen, if this is really true. Now we know there was a period of about 400 years between the last of the prophets and the, and the birth of Christ and somehow in, in that 400 years, it had stopped being about expecting the Savior, expecting the Messiah and it had been about the law and about their rules and about their position and so none of the people that should have known actually pursued to see if this was the Messiah. And to me, this is an indictment on us. I just want us to think about this for a moment because information does not guarantee transformation. You get that? Information does not guarantee transformation. We have lots of information in our lives and we have lots of information about Christ. We have lots of information about the Messiah that we have you know, 2,000 years of information about who Jesus is. But all of that information doesn't guarantee transformation. Transformation only comes when we submit ourselves to that story, that when we commit our lives to Christ, we turn our lives over to Jesus. And you see, this is where the rub is for us because it's, lot, it's, it's way better for me to have a lot of information and to feel important about my information and to feel like I'm a scholar uh, in the information about Jesus than to actually humble myself, to actually submit myself to who he is. And the religious leaders, they had their information and it gave them position and power, but they had no interest in submitting themselves to the Messiah. And they missed him. The very people that should have been first in line, the, the very people that should have known better. And who was it that responded to the Christ? It, were the shep it was the shepherds out in the field. And we'll talk about them more next Sunday. But it was the wise men uh, who came from total left field, thousand miles away, no idea what they were gonna find, no idea who they were gonna find, but they saw that star, they read the prophecies, and they were so excited, they, were so, they said, we wanna find him so that we can worship him. And they came and experienced Jesus while all of the rest sat huddled in Jerusalem, missing the whole point, missing Christ. And I, you know, I think there's this, this huge challenge for us because we get caught up we get caught up in the arguments, we get caught up in the doctrines, we get caught up in all the stuff, and it's so easy for us to miss Jesus when he shows up. It's so easy for us not to come and adore him, but to argue about him. It drives me crazy. If we could just simply come to the Savior like the wise men, who are really wise because they came to Jesus. What makes them really wise isn't all their knowledge and all of their education. What makes them really wise is they sought the Christ and when they met him, they worshiped him. And we, we stop someplace often in our journey. Uh, we stop on some of the details and we stop on some of the arguments and we stop on some of the, doc the doctrine and we never get to the point where we're submitting ourselves to the Christ submitting ourselves to the Savior, that we're adoring him, that we're kneeling before him. Here's what happened that's so amazing um, with the wise men 
and uh, it, it is that when they saw the Christ, they fell before him and they worshiped him. Uh, they fell at the feet of Jesus. They fell uh, before a, a child and, uh, and worshiped him. That was their response. They brought gifts. Uh, they brought gifts to him of uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold w was a gift uh, that you would give to a king. It was the appropriate gift that you would give to a king, uh, a gift of gold. Uh, frankincense was, um, uh, came from a, a bark of a tree, and it was, uh, it was an oil. Uh, it was highly thought of. It was highly sought out for its fragrance, uh, for its other uses. And then myrrh is the most interesting. It's the most odd gift that they could have given because in the ancient times, myrrh was used as part of the embalming process and part of the burying process. And so who does that? Who gives, who gives myrrh to a baby? But it completes this picture uh, of their submission uh, to God in this, that they give gold to the king, they give frankincense to the Lord, the ruler, and they give myrrh to the one who will give his life uh, for the sins of the world give his life as a sacrifice for us. That's a picture of what Jesus did. That's a picture of who he is, and they give us a great uh, example of that. Um, John 5, 39 and 40 says this, you diligently study scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you have refused to come to me and have life. Jesus made that statement to the religious leaders of his time, to the scribes and the Pharisees who were constantly trying to trip him up uh, rather than coming to worship. And it took shepherds and it took magi, it took wise men to come and, uh, and worship the king. Um, let me give you the last, let me just read the last couple of uh, verses to you uh, out of Matthew 2. And I'm gonna, as soon as I find them right here, It says this. Uh, here, let me just read this part because this is a great, this is great. If there's one great word of advice, and here it comes from Herod, ironically. And it says this, that Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what, uh, verse seven, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So, he lied to them. He had no intention of worshiping Jesus. What we know from scripture and what we know from history is that, is that Herod had all the male firstborn children of certain age killed, uh, again, to protect his position, to protect his role. But what he told the wise men that I think is so important for us, he says, go and search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring me word. And what we're called to do uh, this, this, what we're called to do this season, what we're called to do in our lives is to go and search diligently for the Christ. And when we find him, when he finds us really, you know, it's seek Jesus till he finds you, uh, that we're to submit ourselves to him. We're allowing his transformation to take place in our lives. We're allowing him uh, to change us from, from the inside out. Uh, it's a powerful picture for us. Herod gives that piece of advice. 
He's not going to worship. He's going to go with a dagger hidden in his cloak, uh, but it's good advice from him for us to go and make a careful search for the Christ. If you're, you know, steeped in the truth, if you are steeped in information, but you haven't submitted yourself to Christ, then we've been maybe been looking for the wrong thing. Maybe we've been looking for a Christ, a Messiah that will make us feel better about ourselves or, or give us approval for what we're already doing, but what it means to find the Savior, what, what, the, uh, what, what the Magi did was they fell and they worshiped him, they called him Lord, they submitted themselves to him, and history was changed uh, as a result of what they did. It was six miles away from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. If it's hundreds of miles away, go. If it's six miles away, go. Whatever it takes, wherever you need to go to worship him and to tell others. So here, here are the two really important things for us this morning as we consider the wise men. One is that we are called to be that star. That we are called to be that star in our communities, in our culture, uh, in our world. Uh, we're to be the star that draws other people to Jesus. And how we do that is by submitting ourselves to the Christ, by coming to him, by worshiping to him, him, by submitting ourselves to who he is, allowing his transformation to take place uh, in us. I can't decide uh, to be a star. I can decide to submit myself to Christ, to let him have free reign in my life, allow him to change me, uh, allow him to transform me, and as a result of that, I become a star that shines for people who desperately need to meet the Christ, for people who are on that journey. Maybe it's a really quick, short journey. Maybe it's a really long journey uh, for them, whatever it is, but uh, am, is my life a star f for him? Is my life pointing people to Jesus? Am I the light? We talked about this last week week that Jesus said you're the light of the world a city on a hill can't be hidden is that who I am or have I stopped somewhere along the way in my journey because of doctrine because of information because of whatever it is and I've decided that this is what matters that the argument matters the fight matters uh, my position matters my status matters whatever wherever we find ourselves uh, that matters more than being transformed by the truth of who Christ is then we're not the light that God's looking for. We're, we're like the religious leaders that are huddled in Jerusalem and we know the right answers. We're just not seeking the Christ. It seems weird, doesn't it? it? It seems odd that they would know the truth, that they could come up so quickly with the right answer and yet their hearts weren't pointing toward Jesus, that they weren't looking for the Messiah. But then we look at our own lives and we see how easy it is for us to do that ourselves. And we're reminded that, man, sometimes we just need to confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, I forgive me for that sin of my pride, that sin of my fear, whatever it is that would keep me from seeking you and keep me from submitting uh, my life to you. And so uh, the, the, the first great admonition is this, is that God has called us to go and seek, to be transformed, and then he's called us as we submit to Christ to become his light to a world uh, that's lost. Now, you know, uh, you, you may not feel like your light matters. Uh, you, may not you may feel like your light has no impact, no effect, and uh, that, you know, that this whole idea of submitting to Christ, what's, what's it worth? What's it going to do? What's it going to matter? 
uh, to the world. So there's two things that I want you to understand this morning. Is one, you have no idea how Christ might use your life. You have no idea the impact um, that you might never even know will have as you are the light of Christ. The second thing that you need to understand is that Jesus said, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill can't be hidden, and that the truth is that the power that we possess uh, is as our lights shine together, that the brilliance of the light of Christ can be seen all over the world, that none of us are really called to be a single light. Uh, we're, we're, we're a lamp in our home, but we're a light in our world and we're called to shine uh, together. There's a point in our lives where we're called uh, to put aside you know, our addiction to information, uh, to put aside our addiction to being right, uh, our addiction to being more right than somebody else and to submit ourselves to who Christ is, submit ourselves to transformation in Christ and to be his light to a world that's in darkness. Now, as I'm saying this, uh, as I'm saying this, you know, there's what, what's going, <laughs> what we do is um, we, we start thinking of other people that aren't as bright as we are, right? Man, I wish they could hear that because their, their light's not shining right, and my light is so much clearer and better than they are. Uh, if they just understood that, that they, you know, and that those people that you're thinking that about, they're thinking the same thing about you, so just so we're, we're clear about that, okay? Uh, and what this really is built around is Jesus, not us. It's built around coming to him, falling before him, adoring him, understanding that he is the Lord, that he is the Christ, submitting ourselves to him and allowing him to transform our lives. And then let's discover what that light looks like. Let's discover when we've all collectively fallen before the Messiah, fallen before the Christ child, uh, submitted ourselves to him and allow his light to shine through our lives. What happens to a world that's in darkness as a result of that? What does that look like for you? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the story of the Magi. Thank you for the truth that you teach us about, uh, in their story about who we are. Uh, Lord, we confess that we stop along the way. Uh, Lord, that we get confused. Uh, we get stubborn. We get prideful, fearful, all of those things, Lord. And all of that aside, uh, my prayer for us this morning is that we could strip all of that away and simply come and bow before you. Come and adore you. Come and submit ourselves to you, the Christ. And Lord, we want you to get the glory. It's your light that we want to see shining in the world. It's not our light. It's the light of Christ that reflects through us. And so Lord, uh, help us, strengthen us, transform us by your spirit, we pray. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, 
some closing thoughts from our pastor. We come and adore all these Christmas songs, rejoice. Why do we rejoice uh, for the Christ who has come? We rejoice in, in that we have experienced the Savior. We, we, don't, we don't rejoice in the information that the Messiah came 2,000 years ago. We rejoice in the fact that he came to rescue us, that he came for our sake, that he came to save us. That's the rejoicing is in the experience of knowing Christ. Uh, the come and adore him uh, isn't just helpful uh, when we sing. Uh, it doesn't just make a great song, but it g- makes a great transformation in our lives when we've come to adore the Christ, the, the Savior that we've submitted our lives, we commit our lives to him. And so my prayer as we prepare, as we approach this Christmas time, as we get ready next week for our Christmas Eve services, that we will come to adore the Christ, that we will come not only to rejoice, but we'll come with a heart of submission and commitment to him that we will allow him to do his work in our hearts and our lives, allow him to transform us into his image. So let me pray a blessing over you before we go, over all of us. Father, I do pray a blessing over your people this morning, over my friends, Uh, Lord, that you will draw us into a greater awareness than we've ever had before of what it means to come and bow down, come and fall and worship you, Lord, to acknowledge you as the Christ, the Savior of the world, who who has given his life for our sin, for our separation, Lord, uh, that we might have eternal life, that we might have life in you, and that life becomes the light of the world as we allow you to work through each of us. So Lord, bless us as we go about our day. Bless us as we become your light, as we experience your transformation. Give us courage and strength and peace, I pray, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.